lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And we're back within the cool confines of the studio here after taking a day off yesterday to address a couple of hundred hardy uh, patriots in my former home state of Michigan where it was a tad warm. I am Steve Dace. Todd Erzin is here with me, as is Aaron McIntyre. We're going to be joined here in a moment by our good friend Rachel Semmel from the Center for Renewing America. She returns after receiving rave reviews for her previous uh, performance here on the Dace Group. Let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is how you can email the show. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Look for my name as well on MeWe Parlor and Gab. And if you're looking for clips of the program go to rumble.com slash steve dace show by the way i got an interesting note yesterday on twitter as i'm waiting to catch my flight home in the airport it made me laugh out loud i even responded to it guy sent me a note and he says hey man i listen to the show every single day you guys must have really tore it up today because you're not on any of the social media so i guess you guys had to really censor the program and he so so again he listens every day right I thought we had adamantly pointed out we weren't we were, we were off yesterday, right? I just someone <laughs> just messaged me. me up. <laughs> someone messaged me on Twitter last night. How many people have asked you if there was a show today? And I just said yes. all of them. Yes, I mean it's a good problem to have. Exactly. I mean you exactly. you would rather have this problem than then what the hell are you guys still here for, right? But I just thought it was funny. Hey, I listen every day, man. You guys must have really tore up the social media censorship with with how much I can't even find the show today because uh, we didn't do a show. Today we had the day off, so I just I got a kick out of that. All right, you know it's funny too. It, it just I, you, as you get older, you just, you get so accustomed to things in such a homebody that I was gone for like 24 hours and just felt like I was gone forever. You miss the little things, like I miss the glasses I'm wearing right now because I was wearing the normal pair I wear, and they just aren't as good. They aren't as clear um, as the pair that I'm wearing right now for my friends over at Better Spectacles because these are German-engineered Rodenstock eyewear available for the first time here in the U.S. It's a 144-year-old company. Ronaldus Magnus himself also wore these kinds of glasses, and now they have them for difficult prescriptions like mine where they have to treat you. They're called progressive lenses where they have to treat you like you have bifocals, but you don't really need them. The problem is you look at a computer screen for so long that you're both a little farsighted and a little nearsighted. And so a normal prescription doesn't help, right? That's what we mean by a a difficult prescription. If you've got a plain old prescription or a difficult one like me, you knew with me it was going to be difficult, right? It just could not be simple. It had to be contrarian. That's how I roll. Whichever is the, uh, is, is whichever line you're in, they can help you at Better Spectacles. It's not an online company with low quality ratings you're going to receive the same expert consultation from one of their phenomenal opticians at a teleoptical appointment on this website that you would if you went to one another stores around the country betterspectacles.com slash steve is where you want to go that's where you're going to get their ghost spec lenses that i'm wearing with the free handcrafted rodent stock frames that's what i'm wearing right now at betterspectacles.com slash steve oh by the way uh for our audience they'll give you an introductory offer of 61 percent off at betterspectacles.com slash steve all right coming up next hour of course we will get into some feedback friday but we begin on a friday as we always Always do with the day group.
Your weekly look at the week that was is, of course, going to begin, as it always does, with issue one. Bleep, Lord Nefarious says. Attacks on me, quite frankly, are attacks on science. Because all of the things that I have spoken about consistently from the very beginning have been fundamentally based on science. Are you vaccinated? Why are you wearing a mask outside? What's your thought process? No comment. Are you actually worried about this new sort of re-upping of attacks on you? Uh, I'm concerned about that more because it's really very much an attack on science, I think, Rachel. People want to fire me or put me in jail for what I've done, namely follow the science. It's it's preposterous, Chuck. Can you imagine any circumstance where President Biden would ever fire him? No. Busy summer ahead, infrastructure, election reform. What does the press get wrong when covering Biden's agenda? I want to turn now and talk to you a little bit about this IG report, this Inspector General's report about a very key day, which was when Lafayette Square was cleared And then we saw President Trump with his photo op in front of the church there. The IG report is saying that the park police cleared the park with the purpose of setting up this fence because obviously the protesters needed to be moved back from this area where they were defacing statues and potentially pulling down the Andrew Jackson uh, statue. Um, If the White House president and his team had to do it all over again, would you have gassed and pummeled protesters to clear the park so the president could have a photo op? Just yesterday, as Alex notes, we saw uh, protesters, peaceful protesters, pushed back so that President Trump could have that photo op in front of St. John's Episcopal Church. Up next, the president and his photo op. It turned out they were trying to clear the area so President Trump could get a photo opportunity outside of a church. And I have to say, you know, when I read through this report, it sounded as if this inspector general was auditioning to become the inspector general at Mar-a-Lago. Because, I mean, this is almost a whitewash of what occurred on June 1st. Well, please, that is. I keep forgetting I'm president. Today, we reaffirm that transgender rights are human rights. You know what the Joint Chiefs told us the greatest threat facing America was? Global warming. What have we learned from our experience with international terrorism? In order to address that problem, arresting low-level operatives is merely a speed bump. You've got to attack and dismantle the, the, the command and control element of a terrorist group. That may mean people sitting in Congress right now. So I was on Long Island this weekend uh, visiting a really dear friend, and I was really disturbed. I saw, you know, dozens and dozens of pickup trucks with, uh, you know, uh, explicatives against Joe Biden uh, on the back of them, yep. uh, Trump yep. flags, and some cases just dozens of American flags, which you know, uh, is also just disturbing. We've been to the border. We've been to the border. You haven't been to the border. I, and I haven't been to Europe. And I, I mean, I don't, I don't understand the point that you're making. I've said I'm going to go to the border. And I, when are you going to the border, the Vice President? The administration has asked. I'm not finished. Let's bring in CNN Chief Legal Analyst Jeffrey Tubin to talk about this and more. Hi, Jeffrey. Hello, Allison. It's been a while. It has been a while, indeed. I want to say before I throw it to Rachel, because the guest normally gets to go first, but I kind of feel as if Lord Farquaad was at least somewhat addressing me in that clip. People want to throw me in jail. 
for following the science. I just want to say. He was addressing you. <laughs> um, this is the first time I think I have said this on this show maybe ever, but certainly in a long time. Everything that Anthony Fauci said in that particular clip is true. I do want to throw you in jail for following the science. Because the science, not science, the science, is from the pit of hell, which is where you've been getting your marching orders, sir, for at least the better part of the last year. So I, I just felt, in the interest of following the truth, no matter where it leads here on this program, you know, we have accused him of a lot of dissembling and dishonesty, and we were always right. But in this case, I thought he was perfectly, pristinely accurate. And I just wanted to note that. I absolutely do believe you belong in jail for following the science. And with that, we now restore regular order. As the guest, Rachel Semmel, you get to go first. What was the best of our worst this week? Well, I think without a doubt, it has to be Kamala Harris's interview. I haven't been to Europe, but not for the reason of just sheer entertainment, but also horror of our vice president not going down to the where we have a massive human trafficking issue and a huge catastrophe down there. But to be a little cynical, the reason why I liked this moment so much is because there was this meme that whenever Joe Biden appointed her to be vice president, whenever they, they won, that she was going to be the scary, uh, manipulative, really heavy-handed power uh, that was president. I think we've realized now we know why she isn't. Now we know why she finished so poorly in the Democrat primaries. And when you have her advisors coming out anonymously like they did in the Axios piece this week saying, yeah, this isn't her her specialty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Foreign affairs isn't her specialty. I think this is actually putting more uh, cracks in, in the helmet that is Kamala Harris's political career. And that's never going to be a, a lose-lose for me. I will say a quick little bonus, uh, best of the worst this week, you didn't include it in your montage, was when uh, Biden uh, just yesterday was whispering into Boris Johnson's ear saying he never wanted to go back home. I think you, you buried the lead on not including that clip. That was also mm. probably one of the best of the worst this week. Just to clarify, Rachel, you mentioned foreign affairs are not Kamala <laughs> yes. Harris' specialty, yes. correct? That's what her aide said. Okay, but but, but you said. put the qualifier of foreign there? Correct. It was correct. foreign, board- not, not affairs correct. in general, foreign affairs. I just wanted yes. to clarify. Okay. Yes. Right. Because again, yeah. we are we are suckers for exactness here on this program. Todd, Aaron, it's how you bookended this entire thing that had me at hello. And because, apparently, goodbye if it was the bookends, right? Because, because the, I'm in a mood. You are. I didn't get a lot of sleep. <laughs> because the coverage of Fauci for a year and a half now, and it only gets more and more ridiculous as we are now in full i am the science mode as all of the clapping seals in the press yes 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 so we have that expert on the other end we have jeffrey the masturbator tubin uh brought back as another expert that the press loves experts come again what did you just say what did you just say what did you just say master master debater is what you said correct no i did no? not oh okay no right. not at all okay so, listen, the, the Venn diagram of coverage of Fauci by the press and the press and all of its moral outrage on everything, everything. Clay Travis Te- said boobs. Yes, t- teenagers said word 20 years ago, something like that. But just welping, welcome, welcoming Jeffrey back. The Venn diagram of those two things is a circle. Yes, it is. Yes, you must be you must be ruined because when you were 14 you quoted from a gangster rap album 
uh, on Twitter once or on your Instagram, right? Okay. But a 50 some year old man can, can just um, do his own live performance of Billy Squires stroke me and hey, a few months away. And, and then you even put him in front of one of your high profile female personalities to to essentially use her but this doesn't scream patriarchy i don't know what does use her as his essentially a human shield slash ghetto pass right to to basically welcome him back in and say that it's a-okay i mean apparently allison camarada has no soul on top of the on top of that on top of everything else my point it's so patently absurd but it's not any more absurd than coverage of COVID for a year plus. It just isn't. It, it certainly puts a whole new spin on this is a banana. Yes. Aaron, your thoughts. There was a particular clip of Kamala Harris uh, from this week where she was addressing some Guatemalans, uh, telling them... She loves the something, Guatemalans. Something that I was going to put right after the uh, Allison Camarada uh, clip, but I, I, I didn't do that because I did not want to go there. Do you know the clip that I'm talking about? Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I think this week that the back-to-back clips of, I think it was MSNBC's national security correspondent, the back-to-back clip of him and the New York Times editorial board member, uh, Mara Gay, I think is her name. Yes. So the, 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 guy, the guy on MSNBC saying, hey, we got to use what we learned about uh, fighting Al-Qaeda and other other insurgents uh, in foreign lands. We got to use that against uh, against." Our own people here, and including members of Congress, Congress, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta chuck them in jail as well. Back to back with uh, Mara Gay saying, you know, it's really disturbing to see a bunch of American flags on Long Island this weekend. It, it that is, that is the reality that they live in. They live in a different country than we do. If I was some, if I was some member of Al Qaeda in some shanty town in the Middle East, or so pick your pick your terrorist group. And I saw a bunch of American flags in my neighborhood. I would say that that's disturbing as well, because that's not my country. That's mm. what they think of us. Mm. We live in a completely different country. I that, think that, that'll that, preach right yeah. there. And back to what what you said just quickly, Rachel. Cut Cole. Cut old Joe a bit of slack. I bet he is. I bet he doesn't want to go home. Right. I mean, uh, he they make him go to Delaware every single weekend. Uh, Jill tells him what to say and think. He's probably actually able to pretend to be a world leader there. Uh, He can go off script. He's not being ushered around by 34-year-old or 19-year-old pages and interns and aides who really act as if they're president and not him. And he's probably gotten something other than oatmeal to eat. So I would imagine that he, I I, kind of, I can understand why you know, your 80-year-old grandfather with dementia who got out of the nursing home and, and you know, got to do, you know, uh, fast times at Ridgemont High for the octogenarian sect. I can understand why he doesn't want to go back home. I think that's all, kind of a little slack, right, Rachel? A little? I, I think so. I also think it's fair, a fair trade. If we have Meghan Markle, I'm fine taking her if they take Joe Biden. I will also say I wouldn't want, I would want to stay in a country where I didn't have to go back and, yeah, Jill Biden, Ron Klain. Susan Page, or sorry, Susan Rice, uh, they were they were all president. So I absolutely cut him some slack. It's just, I don't know, it just feels, it feels like the feeling's mutual. Like, I don't mind that he stays there. Okay. All right, let's get to the exit question. On a scale of one to 10, uh, with one being Greg, Greg Abbott's usefulness without a primary challenger and Ron DeSantis to copy off of. 
and 10 being Greg Abbott's usefulness with a primary challenger and Ron DeSantis to copy off of. Rank this week's level of total depravity, Todd. Strong 10. Strong, Strong. 10. Rachel? Oh, I'm doing one. You want more? You, know, you think it could I be want, worse? I want more, but I'm also in a really good mood because the Olympic trials are on and I've literally tuned out on a lot of politics this week. And I'm like, I, this is the last Olympic cycle I'll probably be able to watch and stomach. So I'm just soaking it all in and I'm happy right now. All right. Where are you at, Aaron? I'm kind of with her. I've been watching a lot of World Cup qualification games. My people. Um, what? I'm just kidding. What, happened what has happened? Oh. <laughs> what is happening? What is happening here? It was a 10 after the first clip. Thank you. Agreed. Um, before we get to issue two, want to spend a couple of minutes telling you about issue two, because I literally just deleted my script, so I can't do that. So we'll go right to issue two. This is what happens. Take one day off. You're a little punchy today. Everything goes haywire. Indeed. Uh, let's get to issue two. Trump DeSantis 2024. Maybe. Who knows? As Florida Governor Ron DeSantis's star continues to rise with each seemingly weekly policy and platform win and with former President Trump continuing to exert at least a sizable amount of influence within the GOP, it seems as if a ticket consisting of former President Trump and the Florida governor would make a lot of sense. But Trump will be 78 in 2024, and DeSantis has a major re-election race in Florida next year, so a lot can change in that short amount of time. Nevertheless, pollsters are still gauging the pulse of the electorate. Back in early May, the Trafalgar Group asked Republican voters if Trump should decide not to run in 2024, who they'd most likely support now. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis leads that group 35% to Ted Cruz's 15%. Trump supporters were asked the same question, and they support Ron DeSantis 48% to Ted Cruz's 20%. But if Trump does decide to run, those kinds of polls may be moot. All right, before we get to the first question, I found my trusty little rundown. So let me tell you about our friends over at Patriot Wine. If you like to have a little drink of wine to wind down, see what I did there? Uh, it was Actually, it was weak. Don't. Don't look. Uh, if you have a drink of wine to wind down every now and then, uh, here's how to make that drink 10 times healthier. Because down in Argentina, they make a really dark red wine from world-class Malbec grapes that are grown at 9,000 feet. They have lab-tested these wines, and they contain up to 10 times more of the longevity and heart health nutrient called resveratrol that you will find in a lot of the other wines out there on the market. It's resveratrol shows up on a lot of studies involving longevity, heart health, and brain health. Uh, these wines have loads of it, and they don't have loads of sugar, 90% less sugar than a lot of your store-bought wines, fewer chemicals, fewer additives. So it's not just that these are higher quality imported wines, but they taste great as well. Each of us have partook of a bottle of these in the past. All three of us came away with... Uh, stellar recommendations and it's great for grilling season if you like red wine goes great with red meat as well we're offering you today 50% off one of their best Malbecs as well as 50% off the shipping so 50% off the wine and 50% off the shipping for high class imported foreign wine today at patriotwine2021.com again that is patriotwine2021.com all right let's get to the first question here uh, Aaron, I'll start with you. What is your reaction to this just instant snap reaction to this as a potential 2024 GOP ticket? What is it? So putting aside putting aside what you think of his personality, what you think of what he should have did, did not accomplish, I, I think he was a better president than I, I would have expected back in 2016. Putting aside all of that, just looking at it straight straight from just a political and how these people are viewed by their own 
base, it seems to me like the old adage in training camp, if you got two quarterbacks, you got no quarterbacks. Now, for differing reasons, I think if you're looking to expand, if you're looking to expand the footprint of of um, of your potential nominee, I, I happen to think that Trump has basically tapped that all out. And as we were uh, shown with the last election, how many votes do we need now to get to garner in order to have a Republican win? Isn't it like uh, 79 million? Or something we don't like know. That? Yeah. We actually don't know what yeah. the number is. Yeah. So I think, though, regardless, <laughs> Trump has basically sucked what can be sucked dry of his potential voters. So I, I'm not sure really how much you're going to expand upon that. And uh, I, I do happen to think that maybe we'll have another pandemic if he does decide to run. Did I say that out loud? That was I said the said the quiet part out loud. My bad. Uh, so I, I really... My initial reaction is I don't think this is necessarily a great idea. I'm not sure it's necessarily going to hurt him. I mean, you can't be hurt, but I'm not sure how much further you can expand. And on top of that, Ron DeSantis, as we've discussed ad nauseum, is Trump without the personal squabbles and pointless bluster with accomplishments, with more accomplishments, uh, acting affirmatively on his platform and agenda. So I, I, I think when you take away Donald Trump, you take away, really, quite frankly, an excuse by the media uh, and by those um, within Republican circles as well. Let's be honest about that. I think you take away an excuse for um, ad hominems. You take away an excuse, just basically an excuse to do what the media has done for the last four, five, six years going on now. And quite frankly, what the Repu- some in the Republican Party have tried to do with Trump as well. All right. I want to get everybody's answer to this question before we have any follow-ups. All right. So same question to you, Todd. Your instant reaction to this as a potential GOP ticket. Well, as potential, if you have this versus the field, I mean, you put strong money on this so much so that you need to start as a party thinking about that primary process and not wasting each other's time with with anything else other than getting behind this i i it would be a lesson in futility to just go through a process where you deny what it it really doesn't even matter what you think about it on its uh, merits in many ways. This this would be a force of nature unless something happens in the future to change that. Okay. Rachel, your thoughts. What we need to take a step back and look at, and I know, Steve, you understand this just from seeing all the, the primaries that we fought, whether it be Senate, House, or even presidential for the last few years, we have to all pat ourselves as conservatives on the back and say the field right now is Trump, DeSantis, Cruz is on that poll. Like, these are not the Jebs, the Romneys, the <laughs> Ryans. Mm-hmm. Like, if anything, the tail's not no longer wagging the dog mm-hmm. when it comes to the conservative part of the party. So, obviously, I love Trump. You know, I I, I work, used to work for him. So, I, I like all the, the words and all, as uh, Aaron was talking about, but I I have one tiny disagreement with what Aaron said. I think the media hates who we are as conservatives to the core, and while there may not be Trump as an excuse, you're already seeing them try to pile on a DeSantis with these disgruntled people that, you know, did this so expose, Ron DeSantis made us cry at work. I think they'll just just try to destroy everybody and anybody who is conservative and tries to run. So I get the point Aaron was trying to make. I think whoever we put forward is going to be an absolute, just just be absolutely destroyed by the media. 
Okay, so I've got a follow-up for both Aaron and Rachel I want to get a take on. All right, so Aaron, let me go to you first. Sure. All right. Um, the idea, how many more votes, how much more can you expand your base, right? That was, and, and it's a tough question to answer because we don't really know what the answer is because um, you're apparently just allowed to make up votes whole cloth. I'm sorry, did I say that part out loud? Yeah, I've been saying it since the morning after the election. Uh, but the one area where I would, would push back on you, and I say that as the guy that got the entire Blaze channel uh, demonetized for saying that the morning after the election, um, is with if you put DeSantis on the ticket, now, of course, this is assuming he wins his reelect, right? Although he's in the process of destroying the Florida Democratic Party as yeah. we see it. So I think barring some personal scandal that's real, this is my okay, point. I don't see how he's going to lose. But you take Florida off the board. And from a campaign standpoint, this is the most expensive swing state in the country with really no close second. The other states in population base that are even close are not really, really contested states. California, New York, and Texas. You take Florida off the board, I mean, the amount of energy from a revenue standpoint, from a personnel standpoint, from an organizational standpoint, that you don't have to mount a... I mean, you can't just like give it up and not do it at all because he's on the ticket, Mm -hmm. but you absolutely aren't at DEFCON 1 for a year in that state. You might be at like a DEFCON 3, and you're you're reassigning those resources to a Virginia, a state that, you know, spent over 100 years, actually, until Obama being a solidly red state, where you may have a Republican win the governorship there later this year, for example. You spend that money on on Wisconsin and Michigan, states Trump won in the past. I, I do think there's a hell of a lot of political value there. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that, uh, that that's a that's a good point. Um, I, I just I, I'm not sure really how many more people you're going to be able to um, essentially my my entire argument is how many people really want to carry the water for Trump anymore? How many people are willing to do that enough to go to the polls? I think people there there may be a um, there may as be as in how element. many people can he change minds exactly okay who because that's that's the point that I'm trying to make I I'm I'm perfectly happy and I think a lot of people are happy uh, carrying the water for DeSantis because you know at the end of the day after you know dust ups with the media and what you know for instance what 60 Minutes tried to pull on him uh, a few weeks ago I think after dust what have, what has he done after that. He's uh, gotten rid of critical race theory in the schools. He's uh, fining uh, cruise companies for requiring proof of vaccinations. He gets these policy. So it's not with Trump. It seemed like always the end game was he owned the media. He was not afraid to get in fights. And that expanded the Overton window for us a lot. And we owe him a lot of gratitude for that. All right. But at the end of the day, what are the accomplishments that go on with that? Was the uh, risk to profit or the grief to profit ratio really what it is with Trump, what it is with DeSantis? No, I don't think. I think the grief to profit ratio with DeSantis is astronomically higher than it is with Trump. So So your issue is you don't want DeSantis on the bottom of the ticket. You'd prefer that he was on the top of a ticket. That's essentially what I'm saying. All right, so Rachel, we're going to run out of time. But we have a unique opportunity here because you did work for the former president to let you address a, a sentiment all three of us have to a varying degree, which is that I agree with your premise wholeheartedly. They're going to try to destroy anybody. But there was at times a lack of discipline in Trump's response to that that fed out here in the cheap seats 
um, in a lot of the neighborhoods that, frankly, Trump should have won and didn't in the last election. That it just, it got nauseatingly, it got cumbersome, tiresome for people. It was a soap opera. They wanted to move on from it. What's your response to that? Well, there's no doubt that there were issues with, uh, you know, buttoning up different responses or reactions or and a lot of people didn't like the first debate, for example. Uh, I think I'm an anomaly because uh, whenever I'm seeing the mean tweets, I just I, I like them and retweet them immediately. So you've got to take that uh, with a grain of salt. You're right. I do think that DeSantis, to your point and to Aaron's point, does have enough of the let's let's push back on that CNN reporter at the press conference and not let her get a word in edgewise while still being a little bit more disciplined when it comes to public appearances. It's his brand, though. So I think Trump's brand is Trump's brand. I don't necessarily think it hurts him as much as anybody thinks it does. Uh, but I also think that DeSantis is maybe what on paper people would call more buttoned up with still the instincts of Trump when it comes to, say, the media. All right. This has to be really quick. Uh, exit question. What's a bigger threat to Trump successfully running again? A, his own lack of discipline. B, the percentage of voters who just don't want his type of soap opera no matter what. Or C, the fact Democrats can just steal another election since they already established the president last time. They can just say he's uniquely unpopular and do it to him again. Todd. B, the percentage of voters who just don't want that type Quickly, of Quickly, Aaron. C. C. Rachel. C. Okay. Uh, we'll come back. Let's talk some foreign policy. It appears we are absolutely on the brink of the post-Bibi Netanyahu era in Israel. We don't necessarily know for sure what it will look like, but it appears to be on the horizon. We'll discuss that here next. If you are frustrated with your government school system, and if you're not, then either you're not paying attention or you're like our friend Todd Erzin over here, where you are a menace to society uh, in, 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 in the district in which you live. That when they hear you, when you walk into the school board meeting, they hear, <gasps> where they preemptively start offering concessions in the hopes you'll stop tweeting about them and showing up. That's pretty much your approach there and to the poor, unsuspecting school district of Carlisle, Iowa, correct? Namaste. Yes. All right. So if, if, now maybe you don't have time for that or you're just really not as stubborn and, and angry uh, as Todd perpetually is. There are options for you, like our friends at Freedom Project Academy. I, I, I know personally the people that established this thing and have kept it going. Uh, I entrusted for a couple of years my own son to this, so I can't give it a better recommendation in that. Uh, Judeo-Christian values, classical curriculum. They teach you uh, how to think, not what to think. You're taught mastery of subject matter, not propaganda. This is the way the people that made this country exceptional. This is how they were educated, and that's what they do at Freedom Project Academy. They have mastered online, in-person learning. And if you want to learn more about them for free uh, for this fall, go to freedomforschool.com. Again, that is Freedom for School. Com. We welcome back in the uh, aforementioned uh, ornery cuss over there. Also, Aaron is here, as is our good friend Rachel Semmel. Let's get to issue three here on the weekly look at the week that was, the post-Netanyahu era. For the first time in Israel's history, the Arab Party has united with other Israeli political parties to form a coalition to unseat Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. This would mark the first time in 12 years Israel will not have Netanyahu at the helm. 
The coalition formed is expected to place former Israeli Defense Minister Naftali Bennett in Bibi's place. Who is Naftali Bennett? Editor-in-chief of AllIsrael.com Joel Rosenberg went on the water cooler with David Brody to explain. Naftali Bennett, who, who looks to be the next prime minister, he's an exact protege, literally trained and recruited by Netanyahu. Um, he served in the same special forces uh, unit in the Israeli military that Netanyahu did. He became incredibly successful in business after the army, sold one of his companies for $145 million, um, was recruited by Netanyahu to come into politics as Netanyahu's chief of staff. Now, think about that. Wow. Net- guy is almost an exact replica, thinks the way uh, Bibi thinks in terms of policy, in terms of worldview. He's the first religious kippah-wearing, Torah-observant Jew ever in the history of the modern history of Israel to be prime minister. But Netanyahu hates him. He had a huge falling out with Bennett years ago and drove him right out of the party. And And yet now... Uh, Bennett or ben, BB is saying terrible things about Bennett, but the man served as defense minister. He served as education minister. He's young, 49, but he's pretty well experienced. And uh, we'll have to see how he does in his first uh, his first uh, big moment on the stage as prime minister. So my understanding is there's going to be it. it, it I mean, it looks pretty clear Netanyahu is done. What's going to happen is is Sunday, there's going to be appearance after the Sabbath. I think that's where there's a confidence vote to usher in uh, Bennett as prime minister and see if this can actually be the coalition that then takes Netanyahu's place. I was really flabbergasted. My buddy Joel there mentioned, I didn't know this until I heard Joel say this a few days ago, that uh, Naftali would actually be the first religiously observant Jewish prime minister yeah. of Israel in its modern history. I mean, I, that that got my attention. Wow. So let's get to the first question here. Rachel, I'll start with you. Let's start with the Bibi Netanyahu angle first. Do you think that he just hung on for power for too long? So he lived long enough to see himself become the villain rather than sort of politically die the hero here? Yeah, I'm I'm never going to be somebody who calls Bibi a, a villain despite the last couple of weeks or months. I do think people are saying that he could have re, uh, written his history books better if he would have set out a couple election cycles ago. But I do think that Israel's stance and, and um, how, how strong they are would have also been affected because I, I just am never going to be one that does that forgets the fact that Bibi has more or less pushed Israel to the front of, of the world on many fronts. I mean, you look at tech sectors, for example. Israel is the place where every tech company opens a business now. And so, yes, I think you can look at the last couple couple weeks, but the coalitions and the relationships that BB over these decades of service to Israel that, that he's built internally and, and even internationally are, I think, strong to the point that Israel never would have dreamed of having those if it hadn't been for BB. So sure, maybe his bio on Wikipedia would read a little bit better if he left a, a while ago, but mm-hmm. I also think Israel might have been a little weaker if it hadn't been for him fighting to the end. That's a good point. What do you think, Todd? I've always been amazed looking on the diversity of opinion that exists within Israeli politics because uh, far be it for me to inject myself, but I, I always want to grab them. Like, you guys all realize you're under existential threat all the time, don't you? I mean, why do I have to tell It seems like that's something that really always stuck in BB's craw and why he felt he was the indispensable 
man. Like you guys are pretending that this isn't existing. We, we, these people who want to kill us all the time. And therefore, yes, he became in many ways the type of person who would bend and twist to stay there because he felt he was one of a small breed that took reality seriously. Again, this is not, I, I, I don't know all of his personality flaws. I can't comment on him like I can Donald Trump. But that's my perception. It reminds me of that conversation in the, um, the, the Dark Knight Rises between um, Commissioner Gordon and the young uh, Robin. Mm-hmm. And Robin starts getting a little self-righteous and it looks like your hands are plenty dirty. And Commissioner Gordon's like, dude, do, do you know for me to stay in this post to mm-hmm. do what I think was right? There was no way I was never not going to get my hands dirty in some way, shape, or form. I'm reminded of that in talking about what, you know, on a, 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 in, in a more in-depth sense, what may have happened to BB over time. I mean, there is really no left in Israel politically. This is a point that Joel has made on our yep. show before. There really is no left in pol- politically in Israel as we know it in the West. They just really don't exist. Um, there's a couple of, you know, fringe parties. Uh, some of them will be a part of this coalition, it looks like. But overall, this is largely Bennett and Netanyahu. And it sounds even on some issues, Bennett may be to the right of Netanyahu. But this is largely a, a power. Uh, that's why it's become personal. This is largely a power struggle between these two men. And Bennett is trying to uh, force Bibi out uh, when he thinks his time is up and not necessarily when Bibi does. Mm-hmm. Right. But if you're going to if you're going to do the things Bibi has done, which is take part and eradicating the political opposition like that uh, and the strong stances he has taken in defense of Israel's sovereignty. You're, it, that's the point you're making, Todd. Yeah. Collateral damage is unavoidable. Right. Unavoidable. There, is, there will be a cost to these kinds of things. You can't ever come out of this with your hands uh, completely pristine. That's just not how it's going to no, work. And look at everything before Netanyahu and then in between Netanyahu's two terms, the amount of people over there who seem to want to willingly want to do the Arafat dance and think that, yes, President Clinton and every president under the sun could solve it. No one ever could. Bibi Netanyahu just never seemed to have any time for that nonsense, and to his great credit. What do you think, Aaron? Yeah, that's kind of where I was going to go. Uh, Channeling, I think we had Rosenberg on our show last February, where he said something that was a, a little bit surprising to me, and that the, the left doesn't really exist in Israel as we know it. And that seems surprising because I, I believe they have pride parades over there as mm-hmm. well. Um, but that that is that is an important point um, uh, important point to make because I see a lot of leftists as we know them here in the West. Who say, "Yay, Bibi Netanyahu is is going down," not knowing what Joel Rosenberg just laid out. The dude is basically Naftali Bennett is basically a carbon copy of Netanyahu, and in fact, maybe a little bit to the right. Do you really, really know what's going to happen here? And as Ben Shapiro has pointed out on a couple of occasions, this coalition that's formed is pretty fragile. It's pretty fragile. Yeah. I mean, the Arab Party guys, yeah. a couple of fringe groups like the Arab Party, um, that could fall apart like that. And guess who's prime minister in two minutes? It's back to Bibi again. So I, I think this is, I think Bibi Netanyahu will be prime minister again at some point in the near future. Um, but it is, it is fascinating to watch. One more quick point on this as well, uh, along the lines of what you and Todd were saying. I think Netanyahu, for what he's done in Israel, some of the hard lines that he's drawn in the sand in Israel in terms of national sovereignty, he, is, he may end up going down like a Churchill 
In the sense, I was of, thinking about that when Todd was talking. Yeah. In the sense of you know what, uh, saving Western civilization, saving UK's, but by doing the things that needed to be done after the likes of Neville Chamberlain tried to placate and equivocate to the Nazi regime. But at the end of at the end of his time, the people just said, "Nope, no more. We're tired of you. Uh, get out of here." Um, that's the thanks that you get sometimes for being a stickler and drawing those hard lines in the sh- in the sand and, and doing the hard thing. Um, but I will say, I will reiterate that because of the precarious nature of the coalition, I, I do think he'll end up being prime minister. But I, I think the Churchillian moment down the road still might be coming for him. To me, I think the, the and again, I don't know Israeli domestic politics beyond what people like my buddy Joel Rosenberg t- uh, tell me. Just looking at politics in, as, a, as a process, as a methodology. If I were in if 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 I were in BB Netanyahu's operation, the the point I would be trying to exploit, what would be the utilization of uh, Arab rep- representation in your coalition and some of the the fringe elements that they're trying to craft together for this alternative coalition, because I mean these groups aren't signing on to someone who might even be to the right of Netanyahu on several issues, particularly culturally as a religiously observant Jew, and BB is not. Um, the, they're not signing on to this, you know, the Arab party is not like, you know, we took a fresh look at this Torah thing and thought maybe, you know, no, they're not, you see what I'm saying? They're not, yeah. they're not doing that. And somebody's using somebody here. Now I'm sure Neftali's thinking, Hey, you know, I was, I'm a military, I'm decorated military veteran. I ran the department of defense education. I'm a multimillionaire. I, I, I'm the one using them. They're the mark, right? They're probably thinking, dude, mm-hmm. no, you're the mark. You see what I'm saying? Sure. But someone's the mark. Someone's the mark in this, right? And this you're asking a lot from a guy that on an executive level, the Israeli people on the world stage doesn't really know because he's been an administr- he's been an administrator. You're asking for somebody on an executive level, their first foray in to show a lot of political savvy because at some point you have to cut these people loose, right? At some point, mm-hmm. you're gonna have to. Right? You see what I'm going yeah, with this? Yes. This is a big time play for a rookie. Yeah. To make now, maybe he's Fred Lynn, man, and he wins Rookie of the Year MVP in the same year. Maybe he's Wally Joyner, Jose Canseco. It's that kind of rookie season. Fernando Valenzuela. I don't know, but this is a that's a there's a lot of real politique to be making there for a guy that's not had to walk in those shoes before. That that's just the only point I'm making. Any it's thoughts a, on that? Anybody want to say anything uh, about that? Rachel, you want to comment on that? No, I think you bring up a good point because I believe there was a, a Arab member of the coalition that walked away during all the shelling that we saw a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. and joined the the Palestinians mm-hmm. over over all the attacks of Hamas. And he was representing the government in this coalition of Israel and he sided with the Palestinians. So I think there are some, again, I, I don't know this, this nearly as well as our buddy Joel, but it does seem like Bennett may be in over his head when teaming up with some of these folks who, to your point, Steve, do not have Israel's best interests at mo- at heart, mm-hmm. and that could backfire. Let's get to the exit question. If your confidence in the new potential Israeli leadership were a 1980s era one-hit wonder, which one-hit wonder from the 80s era would it be? A, Shattered Dreams by Johnny H. Jazz. B, Relax by Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Or C, The Future's So Bright, I Gotta Wear Shades by Tim Buck Three. Aaron. Uh, C. C? Guess, uh, I guess C. Okay. What do you think, Rachel? A, because this whole coalition thing spooked me, and I always think we're living in the end times, and I expect the worst <laughs> all the time. 
from the girl who just gave us a one for Aaron's total <laughs> depravity montage. Hey, I'm, very, I'm, I'm an emotional grader. So sue me. <laughs> very, very quickly, because we got to get predictions in too. BB Netanyahu aside, very quickly, another foreign leader you guys have had admiration for in the past. Todd, quickly. Easy, Thatcher. Oh, that is an easy one. In fact, that's so easy. I'm now fl- feel dumb for asking this question. Rachel, go ahead. It was a dumb question. But when you said world leader. <laughs> she says with those perfect cheekbones, thank you. Somehow it didn't sting as much. I appreciate but, it. Thank you. But when you say world leader, it has to be Fauci, good, bad, or ugly, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, I said respected, though, but I hear you. What do you think? When I saw the rundown, for uh, apparently I thought it was current world leader. So it, it's a tie between, I, I was going to say Joe Biden or Xi Jinping or Tayyip Erdogan. But really, I, actually, I have a little bit of admiration. I'm sure he's done ter- terrible things. But Viktor Orban in Hungary, he's done a lot of pro-family stuff over yeah. there, so that's cool. I see you with your Babylon Bee kind of stuff, considering Joe Biden a foreign yeah. leader. I, I saw what you did there. All right. Uh, let's get to a forced prediction this week, okay? Will Trump DeSantis be the 2024 GOP ticket? Yes or no? And then a quick reason why you answered that way. Rachel. Yes, Right now, they're the only two people with instincts that align with the 78-plus million Americans. I don't think there's anyone close right now. Todd? I'll narrowly say no because I think neither side's family will allow it. Can you give me—that's that's a fascinating well, premise. You've what, talked about the Trump side, begging yeah. him not to do it. Like, can we get on with our lives from his wife to his children, whatever it is. If that, if that but, were to happen, I'm speculating. Say, I don't but, know that. But yeah, let's but. we talk a lot about DeSantis's wife and what a part of the equation she is. I don't know this. I'm just guessing. Okay. But what if, like, honey, we're not hitching our wagon to that? So. It is. It's interesting. I mean, we're, we're talking two real alphas here. And while Trump often surrounded himself with strong women, Rachel, let's face it. Dude, also, when it came to the guys, though, we got, like, Rex Tillerson and Reince Priebus. I mean, those guys just, their cologne smelled beta. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. This would be a different style of play than what you're typically used yeah, to. Yeah, and I don't, listen, I, my wife, in ma- certainly political matters and things like that, she's got her own opinions, but ultimately, I, w- what I do, I kind of drive the ship for us. But mm-hmm. I, when she says, hey, honey, yo, I listen, because yeah. she, you know, then you know it matters to her. Yeah, yeah. okay. And she likes the DeSantis guy. She likes the DeSantis guy, but I, you know, she, you know, when it comes to, listen, a lot of women have obviously Rachel's sitting right in front of us have like managed to f- find the way with Trump that makes it work for that. We just know a lot of them don't. So, and if his wife is one of them, that's a problem. Aaron, where are you at? No, Trump will share his glory with no other. And I cannot <laughs> see Ron DeSantis becoming a Mike Pence figure. See, that's the thing, man. I just I can't find figure. I I can't see Ron DeSantis figuring a way to work. Mike to work, you know, Trump into any any answer the way Pence could any answer. Yeah. The real that, question though is what happens to Florida when he leaves and doesn't take and is no longer governor and everyone that moved there has to find another state to move to and there is no state. That's that's why half of my emails are don't let Trump run again. We want DeSantis. And the other half are don't take my state away from me. I just moved here. That my email is very divided on this topic. Rachel, you hit on that perfectly. Good to see you again. We're sister. all going to be moving to, to cruise ships and right. living our own autonomy. <laughs> Thanks for having me. You bet. Take care. We'll come back with hour two. Stay tuned.
Back with our two live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. You know, I forgot to do something last hour. My uh, big time faux pas by me. Um, our friend Rachel Semmel and our and uh, who and and the Center for Renewing America, where she works, they got their Twitter account suspended last night for going after critical racist theory. I forgot to give her some props, man, because that is a clear sign. That that they hit a bullseye, you Amen. know what I'm saying? That they Amen. they hit they hit the enemy, they hit the spirit of the age right in the sack or in the heart. Okay, uh, and I should have given her mad props for uh, essentially they they're now made men now or women. Uh, they they have earned their bones, so to speak. Right? They got their first collar. You're an is Avenger that, now. Yeah, is that how it works in the mob? You got your first collar, kid. Joe Pesci shows up, right? Gives you like a pack of Paul Malls and a, and a shot of bourbon. You did it, kid. Okay. Uh, that's kind of what happened to Rachel in the Center for Renewing America last night. So um, belatedly, I almost said posthumously, but they're not dead. Uh, belatedly, uh, mad props to them over there for, uh, you're on the radar now. Welcome to our world. All right. You earned your bones. Well done. Uh, let's get to hour two of the program. Let us know what you think about what we think. In fact, you're going to do that here. Some of you will in a matter of moments with Feedback Friday. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email us. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook, MeWe, Parlor, and Gab. Or you can follow me on Twitter at Steve Day Show. Look for clips of the show at rumble.com slash Steve Day Show. And if you are a podcast listener, we're looking for you to do something for us, if you don't mind. Hit the subscribe button. Leave us a five-star review. Those two things help the show to grow. And we want to thank the scores of you that have done those two things for us already. Let's get to Feedback Friday which is brought to you by our friends over at realestateagentsitrust.com. You want to know when you've got a real estate agent you can trust. So, you know, you live in the same home for 15 years now. It'll be, it's 15 years this week that we moved into our home, that we thought this was a, a large enough home, nice enough neighborhood that, uh, you know, we were getting ready to have um, uh, our third child, or we just had our third child, and we thought this is the time now to where we can, like, they can, like, grow up in this home, Right. You know you've gotten a real estate agent you can trust when, as the years have gone on, so now 15 years in, you know, we may need to, the AC might need to be replaced. You know, the roof's kind of looking a little worn, right? Yeah. And I want, that, that's not my area of expertise. I, and I don't want to get ripped off. So, you know who I call? Hey, what's a good price range for this? Knowing what we need and what's in our neighborhood, right? You know who I call for all that stuff? It's been 15 years since I've, I've, I've put any money in this guy's pocket. And he still picks up the phone or answers the text to call. I called my real estate agent from that from that process 15 years ago where he was helping us to sell our old home and then buy this one. That's, that's how you know that you have a real estate agent you can trust. That that's somebody because now he's also very clever. Like he called me out of the blue about a month ago. He goes, hey, man. So I got a number one best-selling book. In other words, <laughs> thinking of upgrading, right? All right, but uh, so I, and and I don't mind that because I know I can trust him, right? I mean, he's not doing this for free, right? right? But that's how you know you can find a real estate agent you can trust. Where are you going to find one like that? Well, the name kind of says it all. Realestateagentsitrust.com is where you can go today. Realestateagentsitrust.com. All right, let's get to some feedback Friday. Let us begin. Uh, this is from Harry. 
Harry says, I am writing this to bring to light the issue with Fauci government and the spirit of the age in healthcare. As it relates to COVID-19, I will make this brief, but also want to be clear. I believe the, uh, the, the, the above mentioned not only have blood on their hands, but are stone cold killers. I have multiple credentials, but my highest level of education is a master's in micro and cell biology uh, and acute and critical care uh, and a DNP in cardiology. I'm not an MD, but I see patients every day, whether in an ICU treating or in the cath lab assisting the physicians with procedures. I saw firsthand what COVID could do to individuals. I also noted that unlike what was being reported in mainstream news, patients that were at the greatest risk of serious disease and death were older with multiple chronic medical conditions. Remember, our own data shows that the average death with COVID included four previous comorbidities. Harry is alluding to that. I contracted COVID myself and recovered in three days with zero meds. I've spoken to many doctors and mid-level providers all over the United States. The stories are astounding and horrific. I know several physicians that received disciplinary action by the hospital they practiced at or the state in which they practiced. The crime? Treating patients with drugs not called remdesivir. Although later into the pandemic, we had plasma from recovered patients, providers were essentially neutered by hospital administrators and state governing authorities regarding erythromycin, zinc, and hydroxychloroquine. Although these treatments had been proven safe and effective, the push was only for remdesivir. Remdesivir is an antiviral medication that the earliest studies go back to 2009 show zero effectiveness on any illness it ever attempted to cure. Also fact that multiple studies in a huge trial in 2020 showed near zero efficacy in fighting COVID-19. The FDA approval came in October, even though they, they knew the results of the studies and trials. I believe this was Big Pharma's chance to recoup money lost to this failed drug and a stopgap till the vaccines could be made available. Remdesivir is the pharma version of masks, only with side effects. How many lives could have been saved with the use of hydroxychloroquine? Fauci knew in 2005 that chloroquine was safe and effective against coronaviruses. I will close with this. It is exceedingly difficult to watch people die as a practitioner knowing more could have been done would these drugs have been the magic bullet of course not but i believe tens of thousands could have been saved if we were allowed to use every tool we have harry sent me this email before the study that was published earlier this week And I decided, given that study, to put his email to the front of the line to make sure that it was addressed first and foremost here on Feedback Friday. What has been done here is evil and evil. We went through this chain of events on the program the other day. I'm looking for something in my Twitter feed I want to share for you, but... I've been asking this question for several months on the program now. If if they were doing all of this on purpose to discredit treatments in order to clear the deck and create a market for their new cutting-age, far more expensive technologies, if they were doing this on purpose, tell me what would have been done differently than what has been done? What would have been done? Can you name one thing that would have been done differently that has actually been done? No. No. This is, uh, let me find it here. Here it is. 
Uh, this came out last night. Um, Merck. Merck is responsible for the creation of iver- ivermectin. Ivermectin, it was discovered in 2015 as a strong uh, antiviral drug. Or anti-malarial, I think it was, drug. Similar to hydroxychloroquine. And it won the Nobel Peace, it won the Nobel Prize for the work that it did. 2015, that's not too long ago, right? Okay. Merck is now um, categorizing their own drug as dangerous. Why would they do that? Hail Hydra. Yes, they would. They're attacking the safety of their own drug. Why? Could it possibly be? It may not be. It's it, it's true. It, this this may not be what I'm about to say. It may not be the motivation, right? It right. could it could not be. Okay. Okay. We'll play that philosophical game. But it could not be. We can't we cannot sit here with certainty and say this is definitely the case, right? We can't do that. Can't we? We can't. Okay. It looks awfully suspicious though. That Merck is out there trying to discredit their own drug, ivermectin, at the same time that they are racing to get emergency authorization on a new COVID treatment drug. I'm sure it's just as inexpensive, though, as ivermectin. I'm, I'm sure that it won't be. You're right. But the timing of that, at the very least, if you're a publicly traded company and you don't want to be seen as sinister... You don't want to be seen as anti-Christical. You don't want to see be seen as Soylent Green is people, or as you just said, Todd, Hail Hydra. You'd be a little bit more self-aware about things like that, right? right. I mean, the most innocent explanation for this, because by the way, there's all kinds of ivermectin data out there, guys, and it's all better than even hydroxychloroquine's data is. The most innocent explanation for this is that, wow, these people just suck at self-awareness. But, right? Is there, an, is there another innocent explanation for why you are trying to discredit your own drug, which just won the Nobel Prize in 2015, at the same time you're seeking emergency authorization for a new cutting-edge and likely far more expensive COVID treatment that would be, of course, sold and used in place of a lot of countries that are using ivermectin as we speak today? What is the other more innocent explanation other than, wow, these guys just have no self-awareness at all, the image they're projecting. Can you come up with another innocent explanation? No, there are no innocent explanations. So therefore, I agree that that's not even an innocent explanation. But your options appear to be zero whatsoever self-awareness during a pandemic by a publicly traded company. And the other option is How are those voting machines in Antrim County? I mean, that's the other option, right? Yeah. That's the other option here. It's like, dude, guys, seriously, get a PR team. Or smell the sulfur. Those are your two options, it appears. Yes. Guys, can you think of a third one? Because I can't. No. Yeah. Been a lot of that, hasn't there? Yes. Been a lot of times we've thought, wow, either self, no self-awareness at all. Or 
And it's the or because the self-awareness problem isn't there in that class. It's with us, mm. the we, the people. That's where the lack of self-awareness is. It's funny. One of the conversations I had yesterday in Michigan talking to a lot of uh, or numerous grassroots activists is I heard a lot of conversation about how um, how divided the grassroots is in Michigan. And a lot of what I heard is that essentially the Republican Party in Michigan is so wretched and, and so terrible that, I mean, it, 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 it offered up Rick, I, I can't give you fresh water, Snyder. And then after I spend my time blasting Trump to kiss your rear end, you then still criminally prosecute me for not giving you fresh water. Remember that? Okay. Uh, it offered up Rick Snyder and then surrendered the state to Gretchen Whitmer, right? And what I was what I was told by several grassroots activists is that there's so much division because the Republican Party is so bad that there really isn't like a, a principled like conservative grassroots. There's there's basically what some people told me were the crazies. Okay. And then there's the Republican Party. And they kind of feel like they don't fit into either camp. And to 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 several of these people I talked to, I told them, I gotta tell you. A few years ago, and I hear what you're saying. I know, I know what you mean by that. You know, the, these are the kinds of people that are, you know, that send us like every headline from websites that we don't consider credible on our, that, that we can't, like, I can't, I'm sorry, I can't base what I talk about on the show on Gateway Pundit and Conservative Treehouse, just to name a couple of them, because there have been th too many things in the past they've done that have created a rep that if I attach myself to them, I put my own ability to bring you this content on my own at risk. I have to get other sources other than them. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so essentially what I was told yesterday is that the grassroots is really disjointed because there's nothing between the gateway pundit crowd and the Republican establishment. And so we've got you were all spread out in, in this chasm between these two crowds. And I, I said, you know, I would uh, pre-COVID, I'd have been much more sympathetic to this because this was something we often talked about, right? Sure. Well, I mean, there, there did seem to be for a few years on our own ranks an ability. We were just totally fine with just making crap up to match their making crap mm -hmm. up, right? And we would often find ourselves correcting things that were just factually not true, right? Yes. Being represented by people wearing our own jersey, right? And then we went through yep. uh, Russian collusion, yep. Kavanaugh, Ukrainian collusion, and COVID stan. And I must have said this to several people in Michigan at the State House yesterday. I, I am I I am at this point Alex Jones with Bible verses. At this point, you know, hopefully I'm doing more homework than than maybe he never did. Um, but I don't know how else to react to what the events of the last few years have wrought. I don't, I don't know what else to do with that. I mean, we had a clip at the beginning of the show of a guy who whipped out his schlong, jerked it off on camera in front of his staff and, and peers, including females. And after just a few months of being away, they put him on camera with one of their more high-profile female personalities to grant him essentially absolution on air right as if is there any there's no other left-wing legal analyst that cnn could hire other than jeffrey m tubin there was no one else this is important no point. one else 
No, dude, our law schools are crawling with people that are even actually better looking on camera and better at this than he is. The point they were, they're rubbing your nose in it. This is a message. They didn't have to do this. The, 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 they could have found somebody younger, smarter, better looking at this who understands turn your camera. Don't don't masturbate during staff meetings. OK, they did this to flip the bird at you, to rub your nose in it. The same people who then call you racist, misogynist. Right. Yes. And, and so yes. I'm at this point now where. It's all a lie. Lockdowns, a lie. Hydroxychloroquine, we were lied to. Ivermectin, you're being lied to now. The vaccines, they're now admitting they at least lied a little bit. The most pro-vaccine person whose intellect I respect is our friend Phil Kirpin, ace researcher, right? Yes. La- earlier this week, when I asked him point blank, what does your data research show us was the efficacy? What was the number he gave? It was in uh, probably mid to high 70s is what he thought yes. was the best case scenario yes. is what his research showed, right? Yes. Are they, so- are they telling you that in their ads? No. Are they telling you that in their tweets? Are you seeing those numbers? No. no. Are those still pretty good numbers, by the way? For the elderly, yeah. Yeah, yeah but no, but 100%. 100% effectiveness. 100%. And now all of a sudden we're going to have an emergency meeting about myocarditis with the RN, mRNA vaccines. And it's such an emergency, by the way. They'll get to it next week. Okay. So hopefully your kid doesn't have a heart attack. Your son, you know, working, doing, we're getting into summer workouts for football season now, right? So hopefully when your kid's out there, you know, with, with doing summer workouts for his high school football season, you know, pushing tires in the school, in the school football field in 97 degree heat, and you got him vaccinated. Hope that's not your kid who then falls down with a heart attack with myocarditis. So if that didn't happen to you, we'll get, the CDC will get to it next week, right? I, I, I don't know. I mean, one of the highest... I, I won't say the highest because I'm sinful. I'm a human. Aside from my own sinfulness, there is nothing else that has a higher, that's higher on my hierarchy of values of mo- the things that motivate me as a human being than the truth. I want the truth in all things. Tell me the truth. Whatever it is, I just need to know what it is. And so given I watched I'm, I was one of the first people with any platform on the right to say, let's put Christine Blasey forward. Let's put her on the air and see what she has to say. Give her a hearing. And you heard what she had to say, and she offered no details and uh, no specifics whatsoever. Couldn't even pinpoint. She knew the guy. And then we had Julie Swetnick. Uh, he's a marauding rapist. Anybody ever call the police? Nope. Call the police, man. And then we had Russian collusion. And the, I thought, there's just no way with Mueller's... I used to say this on this set, guys. Uh, There's just no way with Mueller's resume. I can just see him now at the end of his career. He came out of retirement just to come out here and be a complete um, F-tard. And he's just going to at the end say, you know what? You know, I got all those purple hearts and bronze stars and I helped save the country after 9-11. But I'm just going to at the end of my life just reduce myself to complete and total uh, deep state hatchet man. And then he did, right? Then he did. He did. And we read the report and we watched his ridiculous testimony, right? Yes. And you're thinking to yourself, this guy, this is the guy that went to Nam. This guy, this guy did. This is this is the guy that just racked up kills on the rice paddy delta. This guy did. This guy, right? Yes. And then you thought, oh, there's no way they're going to take a phone call that there's actually logs and a transcript of. And oh, by the way, and then December hit, or, or no, October hit, and we actually got the very laptop 
They're not going to do this, right? And they, they did. We had a guy under oath testify in the Senate. They, they confiscated no guns from the insurgency that they keep talking about as an armed insurgency. They're not going to bring Jeffrey Tubin back. I mean, there's 700. There, dude, the day after that story came out, they got 700 resumes from better looking legal analysts, right? Uh, they, 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 they did. You see my point? I do. I don't know where else to go now other than I'm Alex Jones with Bible verses and I just hope I don't go nuts in the process. I, tell me how, tell me what is the other, because to me, I have to lie to myself. What's the bigger lie I have to tell myself? The lie I have to tell myself to justify giving these people any benefit of the doubt whatsoever or that I don't. What's the bigger lie I have to convince me? What self-delusion is deeper? That it's not even close to offer them any, any, any benefit of the doubt whatsoever. I know what that means, which is why I fought this urge for so long. I knew what road it would put me on, which is why I fought this urge for so long. We all have a tendency, there's somewhere in our lives where we accept the truth on the basis of the consequences for doing so. We all have that shibboleth. This is mine. I knew what it would do to me. I didn't want that to happen to me. And now I'm at a crossroads where either now I have to allow it to happen to some degree or I have to be an even bigger liar than the ones I expose, right? That's my choice. Or you become, and anybody else with that choice that goes down that road, become increasingly irrelevant. You have to take the environment as it is. Yes. That, and and here, here's what it looks like if I don't allow this to happen to me to some extent. I, I look like David French. And it's just, it's just, a, it's just, a, it's just tweets replete with lies, but just with really highbrow language that make you sound morally superior. But you're, it's just, it, it really, all of you have had a bowel movement this morning. You flushed more substance down the toilet than is, is, is in mm-hmm. any analysis or yes. anything he says. That's a really important point because he's just perpetually above the fray, which circles mm-hmm. back to this nice person who you talk to, mm-hmm. many people, but that's what they want. They see this. It looks ugly. They want to stay above it. Well, don't become it, but you can't stay above it. It is the environment. And I'll tell you flat out, in the interest of transparency, that is my fear. It's one of the reasons I have resisted this. I'm not sure I can resist the urge to not become like it. Because if we're... I grew up often, not always, there were a lot of great memories. But too often, I grew up in in a truth-free environment. And it made me angry, angry. And that anger manifested itself in destructive ways. And I'm afraid of, I, I, I will just be honest with you folks. I am afraid. This is just a guy named Steve now talking into a live mic. I am afraid of acknowledging that this is a truth-free environment because I'm afraid of what my reaction to it will be. Because there's a very thin line between righteous indignation and there's, a, there's really not that much of a line between Nehemiah pulling their beards out and beating the men for daring to do this and Metallica's kill them all. There's, not, there's a very thin line, folks. John Brown thought that he was on the right side of that line. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. 
I am afraid of this instinct in me. One of the reasons why I sort of adopted this approach of searching for the higher truth in every situation is not only just my own zeal. Let's let's be this self-aware that we often accuse other people of not being. Fair? Yes. It's not just that I love, I, I zealously pursue the truth. It's also, frankly, a, it's, a, it's a deflection against my own weakness as a person. That I can justify a lot of atrocities. If, if I become convinced that you are a zero truth uh, uh, um, opponent, I can absolutely justify a, uh, a lot of vigilante atrocities in, in, in opposition to you. And things that, frankly, my faith tells me I'm not supposed to do, even if that even if that is acknowledged, I'm not allowed to lose my virtue at the same time, right? Right. I want to lose it bad, real bad. I'm fighting. I need you to know I'm fighting the urge not to lose it. One of the reasons I spent three hours the other night doing a 25-year research uh, for nothing on how college football would have looked different with a 12-team playoff. My wife was uh, hosting a group for, her, uh, for as a therapist. She was hosting her group. My, my son was at Open Gym Basketball. My youngest daughter was uh, with her friends. So I was alone. And I thought, even if I fire up a movie or something, I'm going to get on my phone. And the anger, the anger after connecting all these dots with hydroxychloroquine and everything else, I'm, I, I, the anger is palpable. And I thought, I, 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 don't, I need something that will not just get me out of this arena, but occupy my brain. So I'm, I'm actively th- employing it, thinking, reasoning through something alternative to this. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? And so that's why I did that. It was really a, a self-medication technique to try to get me out of my own head. Because I can bully the bullies. And I, I will want to. And I will justify it. And I'm afraid of that. And that's one of the reasons I'm, I've, I've always been hesitant of, are we sure? We sure there's, there's, there, there's no way to talk to, I mean, it was just a few years ago, I was letting a reporter for the New York Times into my home to profile me. It was just a few years ago that I was letting a reporter from the Washington Post into my home to interview me. And I've, I've, I've since caught this person just making crap up whole cloth since that moment. It was just a couple of years ago we put Michelle Goldberg on our show, right? And now she wasn't she the one out there writing the other day that uh, atrocities against Jews are are, are great for right wing talking points. See what you're, yes. right? yeah. If if I am convinced that the truth is gone, I'm afraid of what I will become. I'll just say that out loud. I'm afraid of it. You guys have any thoughts on that? Because I'd love to hear them. Well, it is gone. I, I don't know what else. I get that's the bed we need to make peace with because it is gone. What else would need to happen to convince us that? I know. I it, know. I don't. It is gone, and that's what I these these dear people in Michigan and they're everywhere else. They they and that's when my point about self awareness and we the people we, we remain the biggest problem in this an entire equation. Uh, those are known variables over there. They hate this country. They be, believe in unreality. 
Uh, they're godless. What are we prepared to do? It's See, I'm just that I'm, simple. I'm, I'm prepared to do a lot. That's what I am but, afraid of. But yes, okay. It, but right now, you are continually operating as a guy who's had to do a lot alone to push and prod and move. How might you be thinking if it was a lot easier to mobilize this army who everywhere was just, oh, hell no. That's part of the problem. How are we collectively standing for this after all the gender nonsense, after the last year of uh, COVID? Well, do you even know that these are COVID lies? That's part of the problem. Your lack of self-awareness across the board because you just want your normal. Your normal sucked. It led us to this point. You need a new normal and stop waiting for somebody else to gift it to you. It's a zero-sum game. It's a zero-sum game, but there are too many people who, who, who will look or at least see um, that it's a zero-sum game and wonder if it comes with Tiger King. Yeah. That's the problem I think Todd is is describing. Because yep. what part of zero-sum game do we not understand here? They have declared war. It is a war to them. We're the insurrectionists. They are the ones who are trying to root out the insurrection. That's their reality. We'll come back. There's a lot of good feedback notes. I spent way too much time on myself. I'm sorry about that. We'll get to more of your feedback, I promise, as much as I get to when we return. Rough Greens is one of our partners, long-term partners here on the Steve Day Show. We've been telling you about that uh, clever little powder that you mix in with your pet's food that has probably been stripped of all the vitamins, minerals, and nutrients your puppy needs but doesn't get from that store-bought food because if it put, they put that stuff in there, it doesn't last as long on the shelf, and they need it to for mass consumption and distribution. The same thing they do with, uh, with our own people food. All too often. I mean, that's why we have stores like Trader Joe's and Whole Foods and things like that now, because we know we need those things back in. Or you need to go to more the more traditional stores and then just spend a ton of money on the supplement aisle to take to put back in what they took out. Rough Greens does that for your pet, but you might be wondering, how do I know if I mix this in with the food my puppy loves, they're gonna like the taste of it, right? Well, here's one way to find out. Our dog cap loves it. Maybe to find out though if yours does, we just give you the bag for free. How about that? You just pay for the shipping, a couple bucks for the shipping, but that 14-day Jumpstart bag that we have promoted on this show now for well over a year, uh, that will be for free just to find out if your puppy likes it so you can find out if you don't see a difference in your dog's overall health and demeanor in two weeks or less. When you go to roughgreens.com, R-U-F-F, that's how they spell it over there, roughgreens.com or give them a call at 833-ROUGH-DOG. All right, back to some feedback Friday. This is from Kyle. I've always been patriotic and married a wife that is even more so. She loves to go all out for the 4th of July. Up until this year, I've supported it. However, I find it harder to celebrate our country this year. We've gone from Washington, George Washington, declaring days of fasting and prayer and Thanksgiving to Biden declaring Pride Month. Am I wrong? How do you process this? I think a lot of people are processing this to some degree. Um... And, and, and let me say this, I don't necessarily think it's unhealthy. I don't think it's unhealthy for me as a Christian to not have a 
a blind sense of allegiance or loyalty or patriotism for the country in which I live. I don't think that's unhealthy at all, actually. Okay. Um, that, you know, a tree by its fruit, right? Mm-hmm. And that if there are moments when we all agree, I mean, on, on, in, in God's hierarchy, what is of higher value and authority, the church or the United States? The church. The church, right? So none of us would shy away from the fact that there are moments to leave a church, right? Are there moments to leave a church? For even you as a Catholic, is there a moment to go to another parish? Okay, that's right. You see what I'm saying? That, thank okay. you for making that. I'm so want to quantify Something that. I could answer for okay. you. Yes. But there is, a, there is a moment when in the course of human events, you know, the whole document begins with the fact that there's a moment, folks, to break the ties. And the Brits weren't declaring Pride Month, okay? They were declaring stamp tax month, right. okay, quartering month, but a lot of their, a lot of the, the, the moral perspectives were shared at that time. So if we all agree that the church, the church is of a higher value, and it's probably, and I think we would also agree, it's actually not even a contest that the church is, uh, in there's, there's the church and then space bar, space bar, space bar, space, and several more space bars, and we get to the United States probably, right? If mm-hmm. at all, okay. Um, if we all agree though that the church is numero uno in terms of institutions and entities that God has the highest concern and regard for, and we yet within that agree that there are moments to break the fellowship and the ties that bind, right? Yes. Why wouldn't the same thing apply to the country in which you live? Right? Right. To with something that's lesser of value in, in, in the mind of God. So if if within the mind of God, the thing that he holds, the institution by which he, ha- he has the utmost importance, he gives us a conscience that says, all right, well, you know, they just slaughtered a goat or uh, they're abusing kids or they just pilfered, uh, you know, some grandmammy, uh, you know, the promise of curing her cancer and with a prayer and getting slain in the spirit and lied. I'm out. Right. Mm-hmm. Those are moments when our God-given conscience says, pour one out, tap it out. You're done here. Move somewhere else, right? Yes. Why wouldn't the same thing apply to something of far lesser eternal value like a country? Right? Right. Now, what does that look like and mean? I think that's a matter of individual conscience. I think some people can be like Russell Crowe's Jor-El in the Man of Steel movie when Zod, uh, when they, him and Zod each share a disdain for what has become of the culture and government of Krypton. But Zod's response is to essentially go Che Guevara and, 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 and thinks Jor-El will join him. And Jor-El says, you know, I will honor the man you once were by refusing to do this. Maybe that's the way to go. I'll honor the country we once were, that we were intended to be. And can still be again by not acknowledging what's become of it now and using the platforms I can to criticize them while still honoring its traditions, right? You could do that. Yes. You could just completely absolve yourself from it and, and say, this is so far gone. I'm At this point, I'm kind of a conscientious objector. You know, I don't even root for Team USA in the Olympics unless it's a kid I know or my own kid, right? I, 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 I don't know that any of those answers are bad. You could also be more patient. And see that overall, this is a far greater place to live than anywhere else is. And it is right now, folks. As, as, as diminished as we are as a, as institution, on an institutional level, what is even what the, the morsels of our institutions that are left have given us an ability to push back against COVID stand that has existed in no other free nation in the world that has succumbed to it, right? Right. So I think all those answers are okay. What The answer I don't think is okay is to watch everything going on and your response is love it or leave it, bro. I don't that I don't think is okay. I think that's now where you have succumbed to some form of an idolatry. Because there are some fundamental things here that are not okay. 
We can disagree, I think, within that about where our own conscience should go in recognizing and identifying that. But to, to, to not do that, I think, is where we, where we maybe uh, get into some form of idolatry. Any thoughts on that? Well, I think the biggest problem we have is the reason most people assent to what you said about this being the greatest place to live is is it's not a really a principled answer it's ultimately because of luxury items and they're not you know wrong about saying you know if you have a choice air conditioning or not things like that of course but if you have no principles ultimately that are added to that we are firmly then in bread and circus territory and as an individual and as a collective that uh we the hoi polloi can and will be manipulated uh through entertainment through comfort that's what the chinese the, do yeah. it's the gated community effect yeah mm-hmm. and, well and and uh quite frankly it's a more honest grift over in china uh than it is is here <laughs> this, this is this one's uh f- far more uh experts say uh the science my, my, yeah the science yeah. i mean this is it's this is very debauched what has happened to I mean, us. guys the chinese have had people at their public parks and beaches and stuff for yes. w- well over a year okay and well over is, a year this is why steve's not alone uh in what he said about you know there's just and we talked about it on the show you know p- people people need to be waking up so what will that take what level of public shame needs to be brought to bear to do that I mean what I say. It's not hyperbolic. Normal sucks. I don't want to go back. I'm not going back. I won't let you go back if I have anything to say about it. Normal got us here. It was godless and decadent and spoiled and weak. I'm ridding myself of it. You Other than that, had a wonderful singing voice. Yes. Aaron, you have a quick thought before I move on? Yeah, I've been saying this since 2016. If, if you're going to be attached or in love of, you know, intellectually with anything, don't let it be the America that is the hunk of land between two oceans. See, that's a, that's a type of thinking, the, the, the attachment to the accoutrements, you know, the attachments to the physical things, the attachments um, to, to what we see and feel and smell and hear of America. That's not necessarily America. It may be an outcropping, but the America that you should love are encoded and codified in the founding documents. That's the thing that you remember. So I would say in your thinking about America, what are you celebrating? Are you celebrating the independence? Are you celebrating um, the notion all men are created equal? Are you, are you, celebrating that or are you celebrating america for Mm -hmm. lack of a better term sure that's a good that's a really good distinction as well i listened to a recent podcast uh on a friday when you guys got a note from a discouraged young woman looking for a husband and i wanted to reinforce something that todd said i married the high school educated tattooed smoker who tick who tickled or who, who ticked frankly none of my boxes But he looked at me in a way I didn't know existed. I couldn't turn my back on that. We were engaged after eight months of dating and married five months after that. Two kids and almost 18 years later, he still looks at me that way. He's also one of the most intelligent people I know, never sacrifices his values. He's convicted, hardworking, never settles for less than. He taught me everything I know about God and faith. I didn't know I was lost until I met him. 
He is my better half. And I thank God for knowing what I needed far better than, or for him knowing what I needed far better than I did. While waiting feels like torture, especially for a woman who wants to have a family, I probably don't need to tell you to have faith, but take what Todd said to heart and don't discount someone that might not check all of those boxes. And one last thing, thank goodness he quit smoking within the first year that we were (laughs) married. Um, That is from Marissa in Elizabethtown, Pennsylvania, who I think has um, tacitly confirmed something I've said to my own daughters. You cannot change a man, but you can inspire him to be the best version of himself. That's different. Doesn't matter what you can do for him. I've said this to my daughters, what you can do for him in the bedroom, in the kitchen, anywhere else, you are not going to change a man, period. You're not. You're not the Holy Spirit. You're not changing a man. Don't let. Don't believe that lie. But you can inspire him to be the best well, yeah, version of himself. You can't change him in the way you think you can. Yes, yes. But you know, all of that edge, I, I have, if I did not have my wife to help get rid of my edges, I'd be smoking too, you know? But I've got my, and I, obviously he did not need the smoking anymore. He had you to pour all of that uh, in a positive energy too. Instead of just needing, you know, one way or the other, I got to have, Steve's talked about this a hundred times. I got to have a, a vice and, you know, let me put a Catholic shite on it. We have mortal vices and we have venial vices. Mm-hmm. You know, I just need the thing. Yes. Smoking. I get it. It's not good. For, I, I don't do it. But that was this guy's thing. He didn't need it anymore when you took care of him. When you looked at him that way, mm-hmm. flip it around. Mm-hmm. That's what we're talking about. But man, if you keep thinking it has to come, I mean, yes, close hand, open hand, all that. But everybody, your normal sucked a lot of times, you people in this dating universe. You think you know what you need, you have no clue. I mean, we've got all these hookup websites and everything else, and still more studies show married people are having more sex than unmarried people are. <laughs> all right. And we are the most sexualized as a culture that we have ever been. Then there's the other side. Now, this is from Faith, who says, I'm a 36-year-old female. I've been going to church my whole life, been working for as long as I can remember, about my first house at 23. I'm capable, independent, God-fearing, and yet I've still been single. This past year has been the hardest year ever I can recall. I've even fallen away from the, the church. Uh, with COVID lockdowns in Illinois, the church has been closed. I felt increasingly lonely. Online church doesn't do it. I feel invisible and rejected. Um, my church tried to open their doors last summer, but then closed them again. They were off and on the whole year, including off during Christmas time. I tried to attend other churches, but nothing really stuck with me. Um, we're running short on time, but she goes on to say, I'm, I'm really questioning the Christian life. The church, everything. I've been more inspired by non-Christians' acts of Christian duty and utter humanity than anything else. I know this past year has been a year of reflection for a lot of people, a lot of good, a time of good things, bonding, strengthening a family, getting a chance to work from home in a less stressful environment. I've seen my siblings and their families experience this cool, but for people like me who have had to work to, to work on site every day, be forced by their employer to still wear a mask for a year, watch half of our work group get dudded, gutted due to COVID austerity, grin and bear it, and then go home every night after all of that to an empty house is painful. 
It's painful living in a 36-year-old human body, completely alone, perpetually alone. I'm handling less and less in life with any amount of grace, wrestling with the definition of joy on a daily basis, as one can plainly see. Other than that, though, I'm great. Uh, Thanks. But strangely, at the same time, I'm grateful, maybe, that I'm not tethered to anyone for this generation of men. I walk into a grocery store, restaurant, or home improvement store, being the only person without a mask tells me this. Listening to their war stories at work about vaccine side effects tells me this. Managing alongside them and witnessing their inability to make basic consequential decisions tells me this. Yes, I judge them. Maybe I shouldn't. But I do because I have a dad, grandfathers, and brothers who are and were real men. Every time you guys talk about your anger and your struggles overtaking you, that's where I'm at. Not all the same reasons, and mine maybe are more petty. They're not, by the way. But uh, they're the same, man, the same. When asked why I was still single, I used to mockingly respond with, well, where all the men, show me. Now I seriously ask myself the same thing, but for different reasons. Again, that is from, that is from faith. And I don't know what else to say other than, you know, we feel you. You're an incredibly healthy, and we're talking about self-awareness of we the people, that's not your problem. And since it's not your problem, there's no way to avoid the feelings that you have. Hmm. Because that lack of grace everywhere is poison. It's poison. Inflammation in your body is also poison. You want to make sure you do something about it. Our friends at Omega XL can help. Chances are that uh, that that pesky uh, pain, stiffness, achiness in your back, your knees, your neck, your shoulders uh, that you just can't get rid of. Chances are that is inflammation, and it can cause permanent damage if you don't confront it. And I've got just the all-natural anti-inflammatory for you to do just that. It's our friends over at Omega XL, backed by 35 years of clinical research. This is the product that I use, which is why I would personally recommend it to you. And they are giving you a discount if you take me up on that recommendation. Right now, you get buy one bottle and get the second one for free. Buy one, get one free when you go to OmegaXL.com slash Steve. That's OmegaXL.com slash Steve. Or give them a call at 800-844-4888. Again, that's 800-844-4888. Hey, Back to Faith's note. I will tell you this. Uh, a friend of mine who's a few years older than you, you know, her and I had a couple of conversations a few years ago where she was saying a lot of the same things you're saying. And was even like writing personal blogs and essays about it. I mean, she just came back to work after, um, you know, her wedding and honeymoon. So I wouldn't give up yet, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I wouldn't, I wouldn't give up yet, but I completely understand your feelings of frustration. This is what you were alluding to a minute ago when I brought up the point, though. You can't change a man, but you can inspire him to mm-hmm. be a better vision of himself. Ladies, the number one thing that is crushing the men around you is they have not been taught that they can be more than they, than they think they are. They've not been challenged with that. They've either been condemned for not being enough, so it, so it stifles them taking a chance, but they've not been challenged and inspired to be more than they think they can be. That's the number one threat we have against the men in our culture. Have a great weekend. John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.